Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 11, issue 511. Today, we're going to talk about It Takes Two. And joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, we have Darren Gargett. Hello. We have Ryan Jow. Hello. And returning guest, friend of the show, it's Johannes Nichel. Welcome back. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me again. And uh, you're here because uh, Josh once again had to drop out. He's had to miss a couple of shows recently for reasons. But uh, you were put forward uh, by Mikhail as he told us that you are a pretty big fan of this game. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about uh, what we were playing uh, during the what was that uh, winter of last year. There it came up, yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Johannes is a developing partner with our own Mikhail on the game Shieldmade MX, which you can uh, you can get on itch.io itch.io at the moment. Um, we'll get we'll plug that again at the end of the show. So it's nice to have a, uh, a a developer's perspective on the show. Obviously, we've also got some industry expertise from uh, Ryan and Darren as well. So, but what is it takes two? In brief, it is a 2021 two-player co-op platform adventure from the developers behind Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, 2013, A Way Out, 2018. We covered Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons on the Cane and Rinse podcast some time ago. You can find that on our website or on Spotify. We haven't covered A Way Out brackets yet. Who knows? You never know. Darren and I also played through that one last year. Mm. I think we played, did we play it after we after played It, it yeah. Takes Two? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Johannes, you've already sort of covered it a bit, but um, so you, you played this last year in uh, in co-op, presumably. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I saw it coming out on, on Game Pass and I had just bought a Xbox Series S uh, and was looking for, for something. I was just looking through the catalog, basically. And uh, I was looking for a game to actually play with my girlfriend at the time so obviously this uh, makes a lot of sense and uh, we played through it over the course of maybe three weeks and like uh, yep. a couple of sessions and had a lot of fun i think That's uh, a- yeah it was it was a perfect uh couple game right basically hopefully <laughs> hopefully so uh, Ryan, how about you? Did you play it with a significant other? No, I played this one with my boss, actually. <laughs> also your significant other. I mean, a significant presence in my life, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll say, like, from the earliest previews, and I kind of want to be careful about what I say because I do have a professional relationship with EA to some extent, but yeah. but uh, it looked like a really fresh, original idea from all of the kind of initial previews when they showed it off at, I think it was E3 where it got its first showing um, the year before. It was some like big show in which, you know, it was kind of a one of their kind of centerpiece titles. Seeing something so kind of fresh and original from EA, I was kind of like, all right, but what's the catch? You know, like what is the, what is the monkey's paw here? <laughs> and I was uh, kind of, you know, surprised and delighted when it came out that it was just like, a really well-constructed 3D platformer. And so, you know, at the time of its launch, I'm a part of the Xbox Game Pass organization. EA Play has been rolled into Xbox Game Pass Ultimate and so, and a PC Game Pass. And so it's, um, you know, they were very kind of appreciative of the collaboration between us and they furnished us all with It Takes Two Codes, which I'll say, you know, uh, of any of the games that we cover here on Keynote Rinse, like this is one of the more kind of easy to obtain games, not only because it's kind of included with EA Play and with Game Pass, but also you can download a free like guest pass. And so if you know mm-hmm. anyone who owns the game, then you can play it for free as their player too. And mm-hmm. so, you know, even people who, 
you know, can't afford the subscriptions, can't afford the game, which must be going for like a significant um, discount at this rate, uh, at this, uh, mm. I guess, you know, a year on major studio release, they tend to discount pretty quickly. But yeah, it, it's very possible to play it for free if you have a friend who has it. But anyways, anyways, I, uh, yeah, played this through with my boss for a uh, over a number of weeks. We're both very busy with work stuff. So, you know, it was kind of like, you know, maybe every other week we'd have a, a session on a Friday night or on a weekend day or something like that. But yeah, it was very nice. It was uh, it was just a lot of fun to kind of discover this fresh when it was still kind of brand new before all the kind of like, I guess, story twists and turns were were more kind of widely known. So, yeah, I mean, I'll reinforce the spoiler warning. We haven't given it already because it's. It's really oh, yeah. delightful to discover um, discover fresh. Good point, Ryan. Now, Darren, I know for a fact you played this with uh, someone who's very dear to you, the most important <laughs> person in your life. My significant other, Leon. <laughs> oh, you don't hate me now, do you? After playing these games together. We're, no. we're doing all right, aren't we? we yeah. yeah, we did all right. We played it together. Well, you got so, to kiss at the end. Oh, it's great. <laughs> that was weird. We did. We replayed that bit the other night and I'd completely forgotten that bit, which is... Oh, you were going to say we reenacted that bit the other night. Yeah. yeah, we did. Yeah. That's the only reason why I joined the podcast 10, like, 10 years ago. <laughs> so one day I could kiss Leon on the face. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, so EA, uh, you know, revealed this as a, and I was like, I'm instantly drawn in, colourful platformer co-op. Like it ticks, ticks all the boxes for me. But mm. what people may not know about me is that I am, well, at the time I was going through uh, a rather amicable divorce. You know, it's going okay. It's going really well, actually. And uh, everything's hunky-dory. I've had some bad times. I've had some great times. And I'm right on the tail end of it now. My life is, yeah, it's great. Um, but when the premise of this game was these two people are getting divorced, I was like, oh, I don't want to play that because it might touch a nerve. And I thought about it for a while and I am denied. And then I, I, I bought it from CD Keys with the intention of playing it one day. Mm. And then all of a sudden it's just like, you know what? sod it let's just play it and see what happens and uh i gave you a shout and you were more than happy to uh you know uh, endure my my parent brain of an evening to get, uh, solve these puzzles and uh <laughs> yeah we got through it what we did like a chapter a week a week was it yeah so yeah yeah there or thereabouts and uh yeah we, we flew through it so yeah like the, the whole thing for me from kind of like being drawn into the colorful aesthetic that it, it, everything about it screamed me and, you know, and a friend. Uh, but yeah, the story premise was a little bit thin icy for me, whether I was a bit going to be too sensitive or not. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll talk about that later. We absolutely will talk about what worked. Yes. So I haven't, uh, obviously I've, I've had breakups in my life, but I've never been through something that you could really call uh, a tantamount to a divorce. I suppose m my closest relationship to the sort of subject matter is that my parents were divorced when I was a child. So I'm probably, I've probably got more experience on that end of things. Obviously, video games like this didn't exist back in 1976 <laughs> when that happened. So, uh, uh, yeah, it didn't sort of resonate for me in quite the same way. I don't have children and, and whatever else. So from my point of view, uh, I, I remember seeing a preview video relatively soon before the game came out and I thought oh actually yeah that looked visually that looks nice I like co-op games I like you know I have fond memories of 3D platformers and and um, it had a few little beats in there which reminded me of uh, Rare and stuff like that which Darren will no doubt uh, mm. and Ryan will no doubt talk about um, so yeah I was perfectly happy uh, this was before I think when, when you bought it or pre-ordered it or whatever it was before we had because we share game libraries on Xbox anyway mm -hmm. but this was before EA Play had come to Game Pass is that right? I think EA Play was a thing but It Takes Two wasn't 
on there because it, it yeah but the, the thing that gave it away for me was that the the cd keys discounted it to 17 pounds 50 which is a very specific amount and i thought yeah you know it's only 17 quid and you split that in half and then then they announced the friend thing after that and you can play mm. with a friend for free and i thought well you know we share libraries it's not it's not the end of the world but, yeah, but in my head i was like oh 17 50 divided by two that equals eight pound a person roughly or whatever so i was like kind of yeah. justifying okay. it that way yeah but i think the signs were already there before the game even came out you know it was kind of heavily discounted and you were kind of like well it's only a matter of time but yeah, mm. yeah, I don't regret it. No, no. Uh, I've played nothing for this game, but uh, yeah, played it through with Darren. And yeah, we had a little refresher the other night. We just jumped in and out of some some uh, some of the levels and bits that we remembered. So for those who don't know, Hazelight Studios are a Swedish concern originally formed in 2014 by Joseph Fares, who's become a bit of an industry personality due to some sort of uh, shenanigans at uh, industry awards and things like that. Previously, he'd worked at EA uh, with games like Army of Two. Were there any others that he worked on? Do we know? Hmm, I'm not too sure. Army of Two, Two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a different course, game altogether, isn't it? Army of Two, Two. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a, a Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, which, as I say, we we, we covered before. It was actually uh, under the all species of Starbreeze Studios, um, who we also knew from... What the darkness? Starbreeze did um the darkness, yeah, and oh, um, payday. They did a bit of payday too, mm, is that? And right. uh, the Starbreeze mainly do first person kind of story, very yeah. kind of like physical, physical based movement in their first person games, which I'm blanking yeah. on at the moment. Uh, yeah, so Stockholm based uh, and committed to pushing the creative boundaries of what is possible in games. In 2018, they released the BAFTA award-winning A Way Out, the first ever co-op-only third-person action-adventure. Not sure that's actually (laughs) true. We were talking about a game that was on the PS1, which was called Cookies and Cream. The Adventures of Cookie and Cream, yep. The Adventures of Cookies and Cream by FromSoft. Uh, And that was, I believe, maybe... Maybe that wasn't co-op only. Maybe you could play it with the CPU and maybe that's the distinction here. But I feel like there have been other co-op only games prior to 2018. We'll let them have it. You know, in a roundabout way, if you were good enough with your feet, I'm sure someone has played It Takes Two or A Way Out on their own with hands and feet. Someone's played Dark also, Souls with, a, I don't know, a sausage at this point. So anything's possible. Yeah, literally uh, somebody's uh, played it with, uh, played Elden Ring with bananas. So... <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, released under the EA Originals program or brand to make it distinct from the usual kind of franchise fare that you would expect from EA these days. Uh, Obviously, back in 2008, they had that little burst of activity where we got games like um, Dead Space and Mirror's Edge that were a little bit outside of the sporting brands Mm. and the, the traditional stuff. But since then, I suppose this EA Originals is the equivalent of the the UB Arts mm-hmm. game in that they're you know, slightly aside to what you'd expect from these big studios. And actually, uh, you know, listeners may or may not have noticed, but we've we've kind of shied away from covering stuff by some of the bigger studios with worse reputations in recent times. I'm not saying never, and we haven't like made a blanket rule, but with so much unpleasantness coming out of the likes of Activision Blizzard and Ubisoft, we've. I don't think we've got many games on the docket from them Um, and EA we're doing this one but um, yeah not that it makes any difference in the grand scheme of things but you know 
we just don't have the appetite necessarily to cover the games that mm. we believe have been made in unpleasant conditions. Unfortunately, of course, we keep finding out about ones that we've already covered. <laughs> then, then it comes out after that they were made in toxic workplace conditions or whatever. But um, unfortunately, there's, there's not so much we can do about that. The game is running in Unreal Engine 4, and it was released on, of course, Windows PC, PS4, Xbox One, and there are also updated versions for PS5 and Xbox Series consoles. came out March 26th, 2021, which is almost exactly a year ago at Mm -hmm. the time of recording this. Reviews-wise, it did really, really well. 94% of 129 reviews recommended this game, and it has an average open critic score of 89%. The sales tactics and the, the, the release strategy of the one free copy and, and the discounts and whatever else seems to have worked because as of February this year, the game has sold at least 5 million copies. Loads of uh, Game of the Year and uh, you know Family Game of the Year and things like that as well, right? Yeah, won some awards uh, at uh, the Golden Joysticks and the Game Awards, the Dice Awards... It did very well indeed. I wonder what the actual total number of players, if it's sold 5 million, you would think I'm it's at do least... i math. I think I can work it out. This, wait, this is wait, a tough wait, one. wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that 5 million sales doesn't include all the people who have played it on Game Pass or whatever. Fair enough. 10 million. <laughs> User reviews wise on IMDb, it has... A 9.1 out of 10 from 1.6 thousand reviewers. So people seem to enjoy it quite a bit. Should we give a footnote? And maybe this is kind of useless information at this point. But uh, if people are listening to this in the future, the game might not be called this anymore. Yeah. I mean, I've put it as a later uh, topic, but actually, yeah, why not? Why not cover it now? Yes, there's a there's a rights issue about the name, not because of the song, but because of a publisher. Yeah. Take two, believe it or not. Take two interactive. Not happy about this. No, um, they were presumably aware of this game before it came out. I don't know, man. Like, it's, all of this stuff, <laughs> whenever whenever these things come out, like Mirror's Edge and Star Fox, was it back in the day? Or I can't really remember what it was. It really yeah, just yeah. deflates my enthusiasm for business. You know, yeah. whenever I did ever sniff business as a games industry, you know, professional, if you want to call it that. Like, I was just so, my eyes just glazed over. Imagine someone sitting down at a table going, right, this game from EA has come out. It's called It Takes Two. We're called Take Two. What are we going to do about it? It's just like, oh, just let it go, man. Like, yeah. Where's your zen attitude to this nonsense? Like, I don't know. Like, If, if Take Two release a game called, I don't know, something with EA in it, each person wins. EA, that's got EA in it. Cancel it. <laughs> it's like, come on. How like pedantic and petty can you be about naming conventions? They're just words yeah. that we use. We can't. I don't know, mm. man. There's only so many, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, It Takes Two is obviously the title of a very famous song, which I would suggest the title of this game sort of alludes to. I was going to talk about how it's absent from the soundtrack, but Take Two and It Takes Two have quite distinct meanings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, Take Two Interactive has a is hyphenated Take Two, I think. So it's, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't really get why there would be any particular confusion between a game and a publisher. I mean, there's there's always that argument that the, the rights holders have to pursue those things in order not to establish uh, precedent and don't yeah, don't know how true that actually is. But we'll find out when somebody comes out with uh, with a with a game called uh, Shield Maiden. In, yes, all in English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah, we we don't know what's going to happen. Um, whether it's put any uh, sequels or DLC on hold or whatever else. There's also the 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 rights of the for the TV show that they're mm-hmm. talking about. Whether that will have to change its name. Uh, I guess we'll we'll see what comes out of the wash. So yeah, uh, spoiler warning again. As Ryan said, uh, there are some fairly major story elements in this game. Although if you're like me and Darren, you'll spend most of your time giggling and sighing through the cutscenes. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but it's been um, it's quite a talking point. The 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 story, the scenario, the script, and the performances in this game. We've got some good correspondence on this uh, with which to from which to jump off. Let's start with Dave Jackson from Patreon who says it takes two in my opinion may have the biggest difference between quality of gameplay and quality of story in any game I've ever played excluding games that clearly make uh, story take a back seat the gameplay is inventive and fun and it's impressive how they jettison new mechanics and replace them before they have a chance to grow stale on the other hand the very premise of the story that divorce should not be an option is embarrassing to me and the Dr. Hakim character is one of the most annoying, shallow characters I've ever come across. If this game was clearly not taking itself seriously, I may have come out with a different opinion, but I don't think that's the case. All told, I think this is a very fun game, especially if you have a co-op partner that you can make fun of the story with. True. Discuss. I mean, obviously, that that, that was intentional, right? That Dr. Hakim was meant to be super annoying. And in, in that sense, they totally succeeded with what they set out to do. Mm, but yeah. it being intentional, intentional doesn't make it any less annoying. So why why do you want to do that? And I mean, there's there's no payoff to that, right? Like if if at any point, like towards the end of the game, you'd be fighting against a character or something like that. Mm. But that doesn't that never yeah. happens. So we were expecting that, yeah, weren't we? Yeah, totally, totally. So what's the what's the point of making this? super obnoxious dude yeah like the, the 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 notion of you getting so peed off with this book that you end up fighting him and tearing him apart would have fit in perfectly with the story have, yeah <laughs> yeah it, it, it was a great you know i'm sure you know there's more than us who thought that and um but dr hakeem when he when he first started kind of, kind of performing in front of me i was like oh he's grating on me a bit but around about the mid point of the game onwards i was just like no i, I think he's great for all the uh for all the wrong reasons hmm. like i think he's really intentionally annoying but the only problem i have with dr G- hakeem really is that he doesn't have anyone to kind of play off like if he had like um yeah he's such a one-off character in that whole story no one else is quite like him so it kind of makes him feel completely out of hmm. place which is again kind of by design but they could have done with something like maybe a girl version of the book maybe he had a wife that kind of was, was grilling him or something like that there was you know or a husband uh, you know the he needed something to bounce off of because Cody and May were kind of sick of him from the start to the end. And it was just like, ah, uh, he needed someone to relate to, I think, Dr. Hakim. He needed that's, someone... That's going to be the sequel of the DLC when you fix <laughs> Dr. Hakim's relationship. Under a different title. <laughs> I think it was always very watchable whenever he was on screen. It was one of those things where it's like, he's so absurd and he really just goes for the performance in such like a direct mm. way that like, it was always entertaining, but it was really... Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of felt bad laughing at it because, like, he is a kind of a racist stereotype in a way. I, like, I don't even know what the stereotype is, but it feels very racist for some reason. 
I yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, it's just it's very watchable. I don't know exactly like what mm. I would point to that I dislike, but there's something about it that always just kind of like churn the stomach a little bit. Mm. I think it was just a bit too much. Like he, he keeps on talking and talking and talking. And yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any kind of memorable moments from him personally in terms of like, oh, do you remember when he done this? Or remember? But overall, whenever he popped into existence and then you know popped out again, I was just like, yeah, I enjoyed watching that. You know, like you say, there is kind of. Like a like a stereotype or a cliche there, but ultimately I don't think it pushes the envelope too far to be you know um, mm. insulting or offensive. Not that I would know, but because um, I don't think it is supposed to be a, a white straight man. Do you know what I mean? I think it's supposed to be something a bit more exotic than that. Um, but yeah, you know, overall I was just like, like if that book was just a bland old kind of psychiatry man shrink kind of character, well, I don't think it would have worked. I think he needed to be you know one hundred and ten percent versus Cody and May. You know, who are just kind of just like ordinary people, really. And, uh, you know, I, I think I think it works. It just needs something, to, an extra spicy bit just to kind of kick him up the bum, which he doesn't actually have. He's got a, he's got a well-rounded chin, but he hasn't got a... a, a I was going to raise that. You yeah. said your main problem with him was something else. But actually, I know what your main problem with Dr. Hakim is, is his lack of buttocks. Yeah, he's got no buttocks <laughs> at all. And it's just like, if you're going to if you're going to take the time to, you know, do the art on the chin, flip it around, copy, paste, make it bigger. There you go. Sorted. I think these types of characters in fiction, uh, the ones who are like funny because they're a little bit too vulgar for the situation or whatever, mm. it's always fun to have uh, the more kind of like prudish or reserved person for them to kind of like embarrass. But, you know, Cody and May are very like, uh, they're they're very open and they're very kind of like not embarrassed to be talking about. I mean, they're not good at talking about their feelings and stuff like that, but I don't get the mm. sense that they are like bashful about sex or anything like that where was if if they put dr hakeem into a situation with a character who is really kind of like bashful about their sexuality then i can see this being like a really Mm -hmm. kind of fun pairing but the fact that like they didn't have that aspect like that friction going and the fact that all the annoyance just came from his personality which is kind of like secondary to his mission it felt like there could have been like a fun like the, you know, the friction was kind of like separate to the core relationship building you know, aspect of the game. Yeah, I think uh, Dr. Hakeem, like I, I, I say again, I liked him as a character, but I do feel like he he's kind of like the start of when I started to realize this game was a bit of a Conker's Bad Fur Day inspired <laughs> game. Because like Dr. Yeah. Hakeem, if he if had popped out in Conker's Bad Fur Day, he would have probably been written a tiny bit better and a bit more comical and a bit more over the top because, you know, Chris Eva. But I think And had a trouser bowl. <laughs> well, that's it, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. So I think what I'm trying to say is like, I think the game needed a bit a bit more of um to lean into its kind of it, for me personally, this game is almost a rare game without the oversaturation mm-hmm, of the color mm-hmm. and the comedy. And I think if Dr. Hakeem was maybe inspired by a character from Conquer's Bad Verde, you'd be like, yeah, I get it. Because Conquer, he comes across all these characters that are so over the top and extreme compared to Conquer himself, where he's just kind of a bit like, oh, this is rubbish. Do you know what I mean? Um, there's a lot of similarities there. And I just I just wish they'd turn Dr. Hakeem up just a little bit more, give him a bit more color and a, Whoa, bit, a bit more swearies. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I reckon it could have gone somewhere, but then he would have needed someone to like balance him out. Like I say, like a second book, I reckon that would have done some funnies. One thing that may have, people may have missed, is we missed it until we looked it up after that uh, the voices of both Cody and Dr. Hakim are played by the same actor, Joseph oh, Balderrama. Wow. Yeah. Didn't know that, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how deliberate that is or whether it was just that he was very good at doing both or, or whatever. Um, Annabelle Dowler plays uh, May, Claire Corbett plays Rose. 
the I think you described Darren the uh, I mean this is rich coming from this uh, panel of vanilla white people but um, <laughs> but didn't you describe Cody and May as the most bland vanilla white couple oh, ever? Yeah, so when when they <laughs> when the spoilers when they wake up from their comatose sort of slumber, uh, you know, zombie mode. I just was looking at them and just thinking they couldn't have been dressed any more boring. You know, they're just they've got such cookie cutter kind of heck nothing about them stood out as like extraordinary characters and fair enough like i they probably want to juxtapose their normal life versus their characters in the game so they're dolls yeah, yeah. They're we, dolls. we should say for those who haven't played it they get trans transformed into uh, clay and wooden dolls at the start of the game and meanwhile meanwhile their human forms are sort of in some kind of uh reverie suspended animation you know and they come to life after the the child uh cries on the toys which is it's yeah. strange but yeah just just to look at them like i've seen white people in video games before and they're a million they're, <laughs> no way yeah, yeah, yeah i know it's crazy isn't it? they're about a million <laughs> times more charismatic than cody and may's appearance and i you know i don't want to judge people on their appearances but like cody and may they're just so like they're like the salt and shake crisps that haven't got any salt on do you know what i mean so they just need a little salt on their head and shake them up and down and they'll be flavoursome but they need not. some child's tears on them to make them interesting <laughs> well, i think it's kind of the Delicious. toy story one problem where you know they put so much care into the design of the toys and the yeah, that right. kind of scale of the world and then when you see the actual people it's like oh get them off yeah. screen <laughs> the overarching concept of the game is 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 something that you know, it's probably the subject of a game that that, that not too many games have attempted to cover. Mm. It's you know, it's kind of a it's it's a wacky, fun game world. Meanwhile, there's this uh, you know, relatively serious something that many many people go through. Of course, relationships breaking up, even when there are children involved. It's a big life event for for anyone who who's involved in it. And there was an article that you highlighted, uh, Darren, mm. uh, from Paste. Uh, magazine which uh, which is called uh, it takes two is about divorce but doesn't have much to say about it divorce bad yeah divorce real bad man it's crazy times uh, but you know like the game sets out this 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 bold premise like oh the, the two main characters are getting divorced and you watch the intro cutscene, and from what you can tell because that's what you're given is that they're just arguing about looking after the kid and working it's like yeah Obviously, like that's life. You know what I mean? Like to me, like as someone who's gone through it and is still on the tail end of it, overworking and looking after a kid is not a reason for divorce. And you can do what you want. It's your marriage. But I'm sure they they could have had a game, like a mini game or like a preview game where they just sat down and talked about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it seems like to me that Cody and May, they were just kind of like bickering and nitpicking at each other, which is, you know, something that I have definitely experienced. But yeah, it's like, but the, the whole sit down, with your kid, all right, we're going to get divorced, which I don't necessarily agree with having that conversation with your child. Do you know what I mean? Like that seems a Depends bit- on the age of the child. On the perhaps. age of the child. Why? Why, why are you getting divorced? Well, he, why, the mum works too much and dad can't handle the kid. It's like, that's not a reason. <laughs> Just pull your so- like work on it. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're- Probably quite a common reason uh, in real life, yeah. sadly. Yeah, it is like, you know, there, there are stresses to be had, but- Um, based on the experience of my divorce overworking and looking after a child was not the reason for it and it's just like come on like if you're going to do the divorce thing how about someone does something drastically crazy with the relationship do you know what i mean like of all the things that you can do i don't think working too much and looking after your kid too much is is a good enough reason for it isn't isn't that actually the game ends up agreeing with you on this um, well, I can't, I can't quite remember to be honest with you, because I'm so incensed with the actual premise of it all. I was just like... Well, because in the end, right, they, they effectively, they, 
they have this adventure together and they have some fun and they remember what they like about one another. Mm. And they realize that, as you said, just being annoyed and life being not perfect they they decide it isn't a good enough reason mm. for them to get divorced. So they but the the game never really explicitly says that they get him back together, do they? They kind of they kind of say something like it's something along the lines of let's see what happens or something like that. They, they don't necessarily mm. they, they all walk down the road at the end holding hands with um with Rose and yeah that's a nice scene in that. But they had a big a big clay wood snog. Oh yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah so like, there are <laughs> clues there too. Um, but they never explicitly you never see it on screen that they are actually like, you know, two months later and they're all happy in that. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, I don't know, man, like if you're going to do something as bold as taking on a divorce based story, you, especially like someone like Joseph Farris, who seems to like have so much charisma, you know, charisma and, you know, attitude, you kind of think that he'd probably go for it. You know what I mean? In terms of like, oh, you know, someone stole a car and ran over an old lady and then punched a dog in the face. Do you know what I mean? Like if someone went off the rails, say Cody went off the rails and it was like proper, like... It's harder to come back from that. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like overworking and looking after your kids. It's just, it wasn't on the list of reasons for me to get a divorce. I'll tell you that yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. But as I say, I think I think the game sort of... I, I felt like that's actually the conclusion it comes to that just... But like the relationship having become a bit mundane and stale and the drudgery of life having taken over from the initial whirlwind of romance, mm. that's just being in a marriage, right? That's mm-hmm. like, yeah. that's normal. Yeah. Johannes, you said you played this with a girlfriend. I don't know uh, at what stage of your relationship you were, but did any of this conversation come up or did you just laugh through the cutscenes? Um, yeah, it was mainly humorous for us. Usually my, my girlfriend, while she does play video games, she has uh, grown out of it a little bit and uh, proceeded to mainly watching games while she's doing other stuff. So, so she watches a lot of uh, gameplay on Twitch and things like that. Okay. About two years ago was the first time when we played the same game at the same time, uh, albeit mm. uh, separately. We, we both played through through Hollow Knight. Uh, I, I, okay. I did my, my second playthrough. She played for the first time. And we were having a lot of fun with that. And ever since that... That experience, we, we had been looking for a game that we could actually play together, you know. But of course, you need to find a, a genre that that agrees uh, with both. With both, and um, yeah. So when when takes two, it takes two came came up. We were just looking at a couple of videos of it and decided that that looks like fun. Yeah, it was it was super. Yeah, it was just just fun. The the story didn't didn't matter that much. I mean, there there were certain parts where we had different uh, reactions. So the the brutal murder scene, uh, I, I couldn't stop uh, laughing <laughs> yeah. through it and she, she was uh, shocked a little bit. I mean, I was I was shocked as well. Obviously, everybody that has to see that is, is going to be shocked. But uh, yeah, I, I found it very funny. Yeah, but I think it was mainly the, the gameplay that uh, that made the, the whole experience so enjoyable for, for the both of us. And Ryan, you've got married since you played this. Did this have a, a huge bearing on that decision? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, finally inspired me to take the plunge. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I think in our Slack, especially, uh, there was a lot of kind of a discussion about the game kind of pushing like perhaps an unhealthy way to look at divorce as something that should always mm. be avoided. And like it's a mm-hmm. like it is the undesirable outcome of, you know, of course, mm. nobody wants to go through a divorce, but sometimes it is the best outcome of you know, people just kind of growing apart or situations yeah. that are kind of driving a wedge between two people. 
a toxic uh, uh, relationship can be much worse for the child than yeah, than sure. two separate relationships, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I tend to take a little bit more of like a charitable view to this game's kind of depiction of everything, and that like I think I I think these stakes were kind of placed low enough where like like Darren was saying, they didn't have real like big big unsolvable problems and. I feel like they almost went too far in that direction where it was like all of the things that they were kind of like bickering about and sniping at one each other, uh, one another were things that were very clearly just misunderstandings that they could clear up with like two lines of dialogue. And then that problem is just gone. Like, you know, these are the types of things where like you could have a conversation and solve the majority of the problems that this couple was having, which I mean, honestly is like, pretty true to real world relationships as well. Like, I, I think that we have the kind of natural propensity unless we actively kind of foster a uh, that very receptive and that very vulnerable attitude between people to avoid these types of conversations, to avoid, you know, being vulnerable and to avoid really kind of being introspective about like the things that we are doing and putting our ourselves in the other's perspective. And so from that perspective, like I think the fact that they were having fairly small problems on this grand scheme of like relationship problems that you could possibly have yeah. was kind of encouraging. Yeah. And the fact that like Dr. Hakeem for being such a wild character and, you know, not usually not really like using the methodology that like real relationship psychologists would use what was coming from that perspective where he's like, okay, we are just going to like, we're going to like work through this. We're not going to push things too hard, but like, let's have, you know, these very simple conversations and see if we get anywhere. And then they did. And so, you know, I think in the end, like I, you know, of course I wouldn't say that reconciliation is the right course for everybody, but, um, but yeah, I feel like the conflicts that <laughs> Cody and May were having were a little bit frivolous most of the time. Um, and as you know, I was kind of glad that they were able to work through it because like, even when they were fighting, the actors had such good chemistry that you could kind of tell that they like really liked performing together. <laughs> like you can kind of hear like the voice actors behind the characters really getting along. <laughs> so, you know, it felt like it was kind of only a matter of time before they patched things up. Do you know if they acted these scenes together then? I, I, I haven't seen any behind the scenes actually. I'm not sure. And like from that perspective, I'll, I'll say that one of the things that I found most distracting was that both of these characters have really great voices and the fact that like they had so much conflict about like, oh, what are we going to do to make ends meet? I'm working so hard in my job and it's kind of burning me out. And like become professional voice actors, problem solved. Like, how, yeah. why is this a problem? <laughs> just go like call up EA, <laughs> just like become professional voice actors. Meta. That's how the game came to be actually. <laughs> What's uh, what's funny is what this is one of these situations that does happen from time to time, and of course it's not necessarily representative. But we've ended up with uh, really one piece of uh, correspondence that's uh, very critical of the story, but then three following that, which are all defending the criticism, saying that everyone hates this story, but actually what we've got is more people defending it than hating on it in <laughs> in this particular sample. So let's start with uh, Capone Adam, our old friend from the forum, who says, I feel like this game gets unfairly treated when it comes to narrative and characters. When was the last time we played a platformer centred around divorce? Even if not particularly well handled, it's at least a refreshing take for a platformer. 
Sure, the game ideas come thick and fast, but I firmly believe that it was the unpredictable nature of the game's scenarios and oddball characters that helped bind the vast catalogue of game mechanics together, keeping us intrigued all the way through what is an unusually long uh, linear platform game. Alex79, regular correspondent from the forum, says the story and characters seem to have come under attack from the majority of people who played this game. But I really didn't have any issue with them and actually quite enjoyed the story and conversation between Cody and May. There were a few decent gags in there, too. And Sludge Wizard from our Patreon says, I know that the story gets a lot of flack, but honestly, I barely remember any of it. Something about divorce being bad and that stupid talking book with a moustache. But it doesn't matter what the writing was like because my friend and I laughed and talked over the mm. whole thing anyway. I had a blast doing it and have no regret. So thinking about the story and the D word, if the story didn't have the cat, the, you know, the two main adults getting divorced, if it was just them arguing and bickering mm. and sniping, would it still be the same story? Like, oh, you know, if they just fell out of each other for a bit and the kid ran off and cried, did they use the divorce word just to get the headlines, do you reckon? Because they, uh, they didn't really handle or deal with the, the, the actual divorce side of things, like, you know, particularly well. Not, not, not bad, but not mm. particularly well. So, like, if, they, if it's mum and dad who are arguing all the time and Rose runs off and cries on the toys, it's the same game, isn't it? So maybe the divorcing doesn't even matter. Possibly, but I think from a, I'm no story writer at all, uh, but I suppose the, the divorce thing is the peril, isn't it? It's the, it's the, 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 the sword of, yeah, the sword of Damocles yeah. hanging over the mm-hmm. head. If it, if it was just, we've had a row, then the stakes are much lower. Yeah, fair enough. I suppose. I wonder if the, the writers actually meant to, for there to, to be a, a strong message or if it's just something that they came up with to basically have an excuse mm. to ma- to make the game happen because i di- i didn't feel like yeah. strongly either way right it was neither uh, really took took anything away from the other and yeah so I, I wonder what the intention there was it certainly felt like that from my point of view that no one on the writing team actually has gone through what it takes to have a, a, you know, or to, to deal with a divorce and maybe I'm wrong but like I think if someone was on the writing team and actually gone through what it takes to come out the other side the story would have been slightly different but then maybe they didn't want to over egg the divorce pudding because it's mm. just a fun colourful platform <laughs> game do you know what I mean yeah. my main single one issue with the entire uh, story and character situation is uh, you know what I'm going to say what the buttocks on the book no oh, no sorry you know, I'm it's, the other, it's, it's the other thing that I mentioned a lot when we were playing. The fact that uh, Moon Baboon is not a baboon. It's a mandrill. <laughs> yeah, you were yeah, angry right. about that. Yeah. Oh. Moon Mandrill isn't as good of a... Oh, I don't know. Moon Mandrill's got alliteration. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I'm down with Moon Mandrill. Moon Drill, you could call it that. Uh, hey. That is pretty good, actually. There you go. <laughs> I've got all the good ideas for this game. I'm going to come up with a sequel. Uh, under a different title. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Johannes is a coder, so get cracking. So yeah, let's talk about the the visuals of this game. The art lead is Klaus Engdahl, who had previously worked on A Way Out, but also uh, Syndicate for EA, the uh, reboot, which is another game we covered many years ago on the podcast, mm. but also uh, Wolfenstein, The New Order, and Ooh, The okay. Old Blood as an environment artist. Other games that we've covered too. Um, so yeah, I think uh, overall this game for uh, it. Okay, it's an EA game. It sold five million copies. I think it's fair to say that we probably assume the development budget in some ways isn't as high, or the number of people who worked on this game isn't as many as say a triple A title. But for a, if we must call it a double A title, some of the art is really pretty. 
I think I mentioned it to you, Leon, when we were playing. The, the, the There are some really lovely skyboxes in this game, like when you're inside the snow mm. globe and you're looking out. I was like, what's over there? And then I realised it's actually the, the the room around the snow globe is kind of refracting right. through the glass and there's all these lovely little like flourishes and just moments of, like, I love being small characters in a regular size world. It's one of my yes. things. We've mentioned it before. And it really does tickles my um my insides in ways that games don't normally do. So I was I, I really appreciate, you know, pretty much everything they're doing here. But whenever it goes outside into the greenery areas, it looks in comparison to me a bit N64. And I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm drastic. I'm exaggerating. But when you compare it to the interiors of like... It's like Click Clock Wood out there. <laughs> <laughs> Click Clock Wood, that looks good, actually. No, yeah. So when you, the indoorsy bits, I really like the look of like the, the ball pits and the, all the toy bits and all that and the music room and... Uh, you know, the, the snow globe. But when you step outside and you see like the bushes and the hedges, all the things that live outside, really, I just like, it looks really underwhelming to me. And I was just a bit like, oh, if they had to put a bit more oomph into the garden areas, especially the main menu, the thing that you see that like the, the front end menu you see first and you probably see the most, it looks just a bit, you know, the, the mailbox looks nice, but the bits behind it look a bit rubbish. And I was just like, oh. I know what you're saying, but what about all the the lighting and the use of color mm. in the like the clockwork level and the all those textures that you can see like really close up, all the all the scratches and dust on yeah, things yeah, and the disco room and really nice use of HDR, I think. And- yeah, I just wish, like I say, like the game is like indoors or you know larger areas, it looks nice, but I just wish there was a more cohesion when it comes to the greater outdoorsiness of it all. I just wish there was a little bit more finish to it, which you know I'm being picky because I think the game looks amazing and it is one of the reasons why I was so attracted to it in the first place because it was just like yeah look at this this game looks great and then uh, yeah there were just a few moments that kind of let it down for me and I was a bit like oh but you know you can't have it all Ryan you love a 3D platformer as well and you're a big fan of uh, Rare Era stuff did Mm -hmm. this game bring any happy memories back? Yeah actually it was one of the things that stood out to me while I was playing the game is that there are a lot like a lot a lot a lot of moments in the game that I am pretty sure are like direct references to other games. I mean, yeah, not only hundred yeah, percent squirrel fight on the the wing of the plane, which yeah. is, you know, a very traditional kind of 2D fighting game type of setup, but even like very small things like the way that, you know, a particular scene is built or even like a particular jump over an obstacle that is reminiscent of another, you know, a Conqueror's Bad Fur Day or a Banjo-Kazooie or a Mario 64 or you know, so many different types of games. I, I kind of, I made a mental list of them when I was playing, but I'm afraid that I've, uh, I should go back to the game and like really kind of like write this down. But yeah, we were the same. We just kept saying this game, that game, yeah, oh, yeah, this is yeah. like that game all the way through, all the way through, but not in a oh, so derivative way, in a, oh, they clearly played that and loved it kind of way. Yeah, exactly. What a loving homage. I, mm. I think that the, I think it's also worth noting that, um, it, you know, as far as like this kind of moment in, game development history this came out um almost exactly a year after uh grounded went into early access which is another it's kind of a survival game that is kind of a honey i shrunk the kids scenario where a bunch of kids are shrunk down and then have to survive in their backyard in these you know forests of giant blades of grass and fighting off ants and spiders and stuff like that and um and then you know a uh, also in the same year as it takes two, there was another Hot Wheels racing game where everything was kind of delightfully small scale as well. So I, I think it's like more and more becoming kind of a popular setting because I think it's very 
it's a fantastical way to look at the mundane, which I think is something that everyone can get behind. And it's just, it's it's fun for everyone. It gives you a chance to kind of reinterpret very familiar things in very unexpected ways. And uh, I'm really glad that we're seeing more of it because you know it was a thing that you'd see occasionally back in the PlayStation N64 days. There's a Buzz Lightyear platformer that I still kind of swear by these days, um, you know, A Bug's Life, and uh, there's some Hot Wheels stuff back then that made good use of this. But and then the entire like Army Man series as well. But uh, you know, in recent years, there's been kind of less and less of this miniature scale um, type of, mm. of platforming, and I'm really glad to see it uh, back in kind of multiple avenues now. Did you say Toy Commander, Ryan? That's one that that Darren mentioned quite a bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I know that there's kind of a legacy of like army man types of games that all kind of play yeah, into yeah. this type of aesthetic. Johannes, how do you feel about the visual side of things uh, as somebody who uh, who works in this arena themselves? I think I was most impressed by just the amount of variety and scale and uh, yeah. obviously that goes for the gameplay as well, but uh, on the on the uh, graphics and and tech side as well like there was so much in there that was and all of it was was super polished right and uh, especially like you said the um the clockwork uh, stage and then i i, I always like uh, snow levels so that whole thing yeah, was, me too. was super impressive and like i i'm not sure if it if it was a constant uh, development but the areas kept getting larger uh and those mm, those yeah. huge uh, almost open worldish uh, yeah. uh, stages by uh, towards the the end of the the snow globe uh, levels were were super impressive. Like there was there were so many places that you could go. There was so much that you could do, and all of it, like a lot of it, had had very unique art, and um, it also ran beautifully on on the Series S. Yeah, uh, smooth sixty FPS. I think the whole game. I'm, I'm not even. I'm not actually sure if it was 60 on the on the series s but it was smooth anyways like good good yeah. frame pacing and all that so yeah. yeah they they have good artists good tech artists uh that was it was super impressive and um i heard that from from other people that i was talking to about the game as well like there were so many points where you thought okay this is going to be the last huge collection of stages right and this is yeah. going to be the last this yeah. is going to be the last and this it just kept going and going the the length was was super impressive until it was over at a point where you don't expect it but <laughs> yeah yeah there isn't kind of so much of a of a like a, a massive yeah the where was the final showdown with the book did it get cut probably <laughs> I don't right know. yeah i think so <laughs> alex 79 again says uh, this game deserves every little last bit of praise that's been thrown its way endlessly inventive barely a dull or annoying moment although there were some sections i felt far preferred over others and just plain fun i played this game with the kids over the course of the last three or four weekends and they absolutely loved it too it's genuinely one of the best looking games i've ever played the detail with the toys and in the garden and the music equipment in the attic just amazing stuff and all the interactivity working pianos actual drum machines you can program so much stuff to see and do overall just a really excellent game i think we do have to applaud as well that there's so much there's so many kind of original assets that are built for every single space. And, mm. you know, I think that we get some really great looking game worlds these days. Um, if you think about stuff like Assassin's Creed, like 
there is very little that is kind of modeled specifically for any one location on the map. And of course, that game is built at an entirely different scale. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean to call that out as a criticism or anything like that. Like to build that scale, you have to, to kind of automate the process uh, to some degree. But It Takes Two has that kind of uncharted feeling of everything that you encounter is like unique and one of a kind. And, you know, you'll find a, a fun little interactable or a calculator on the floor or a little toy or, you know, they have that, uh, that, that play mat. That's all the, the roads and the buildings connected to each other. And it's all stuff that is built to exist once within the game world. And, um, and for the amount of variety and the, the amount of like just, Every level is so different from every other level that they're really kind of like starting over and producing almost like a full game's worth of assets for every single like yeah. level, and um, it's it's pretty astounding. Like the the amount of of really kind of talented modeling and texture work that went into this game is uh, pretty mind boggling. The comparison to to Uncharted is super interesting. Like as you said, Uncharted has that has that same feeling, right? You you keep progressing, progressing. You never see the same stuff twice. But then gameplay is always the same, right? And in this in this mm-hmm. game, obviously, gameplay also changes along with the with those mm-hmm. things. Fascinating. The audio, uh, I find it difficult to kind of review in the same level of depth because the nature of it is in a co-op game, uh, I have the audio turned down, you know, because I want to hear Darren's voice mm. mainly, um, which, you know, is something you get the pleasure of all the time, podcast listeners. But uh, it's actually communication is really important for actually playing the game, but also um yeah, I, I find it difficult if I have everything up at the same level. So I tend to put the audio further down. I am... Fairly confident that the sound design for the spot effects and stuff was uh, solid and competent mm. and uh, and 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 worked. Um, and similarly, the music, but I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recognize any of it outside the game because it was always very much in the background to the sounds of Darren and I laughing and communicating. Dribbling. We did a lot of dribbling as well like when we were tired and that and trying to do some puzzles. Yeah, I, yeah. I was definitely dribbling. Uh, yeah, but uh, in terms of sound design, I found... The kind of the actual sound effects, the audio cues to let you know that you've, you know, you've, you've thrown your nail or, you know, you've used your thing to do a thing. Mm. Like, but those, <laughs> there you go. Um, though, I feel like those things were well handled. Like I knew when you were doing your water spray as, you know, in, right. in the garden and I knew you, yes. you were doing this and that. And I feel like that kind of goes by the wayside because you kind of expect that to happen as as the player, right? Oh, well, of course those noises are happening. But I think if you took away those noises completely, you'd be less in, um, you know, less informed as a player as to what the other person's doing. Because even though you can see like what you're doing all the time on the screen, because the game is quite unique with its split screen online, you know, nature. I found that mm. I was never looking at your screen, even though I could cl- clearly screen cheat to co-op. Do you know what I mean? But I was relying yeah. on the audio cues to and you going... I did the thing and I was like, okay, I'm going to do the thing now. And then we did the thing and it was good. (laughs) But yeah, man, um, overall, I feel like, you know, when you were firing your goop Splatoon style and I was blowing it up with my version of the Mm. mechanics, I feel like those audio cues were, yeah, like well handled to a point where you don't really notice it, which is kind of when the game's doing its job right, isn't it? Because if it was awful, you'd spot it. But because it's doing its thing seamlessly, it's, um, yeah, it's doing a good job. And in terms of music, I was listening to it today and, um, it's it's music that's it goes well with the visuals, but I don't really remember any of it. Uh, Gustav Grefman, uh, Grefberg, sorry, is the the main composer 
supported with mm. uh, by Christopher Eng. Yeah, yeah, it seems well made. It's just nothing really because because it's so low down on the volume. Yeah, exactly. Faders, you don't yeah. really hear it. It's like Borderlands. Like I don't know why Borderlands is loaded with so much comedy, if you want to call it that, because your mileage may vary. But because it's 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 almost like mute because I'm trying to hear yeah. what other, especially a four player game when everyone's chatting rubbish do you know what I mean it's like they, yeah they put, and actually if I had one criticism of the audio of this game it was I wish the characters would shut up sometimes <laughs> yeah man so yeah, it is a strange phenomenon to have a, a very well you know voice actor game when the main voice actors are me and you Leon that's what we're talking about yeah too right. I, I think from a musical perspective uh, I think there's quite a few like really nice compositions in here and then that um piece right at the end when the orchestra swells and and may mm. is singing uh for that you know for the audience that she was so nervous about doing like that's that's quite a nice moment musically but uh i think this moment that really kind of stands out is the the bit where you're kind of walking on the sequencer um kind of tom hanks and big mm. style and yeah. you end up kind of composing a little bit of music that is incorporated into the background music for a little while longer. Mm. Um, it really reminds me of, you know, one of my favorite games that I won't shut up about the uh, Disney Fantasia music evolved on the connect for yeah. Xbox one and Xbox 360 uh, did a lot of that kind of stuff where they would give you almost little mini games to play where you can kind of remix like a portion of the song that you're playing. And then for the next, you know, a couple verses and maybe they'll bring it back later, then you'll get that kind of original bit of composition in there. And so like anytime that a game does this kind of thing and intelligently builds the music around something that the player generated, um, I, I'm always really like heavily in favor of that. I think it's really, uh, it makes it feel very personal and it's um, a nice audio touch. Talking of homages, that uh, that final bit where she rises up in the air and sings, and the camera spins round. I'm convinced that it's uh, it's a nod to uh, Clarice's end sequence from Nights into Dreams. It uh, it's very 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 similar. <laughs> or Shrek, or Shrek, <laughs> less romantically perhaps, or possibly possibly both. There is a bit of the Shrek vibe about the whole game, actually, in in certain ways and places. Speaking of uh, uh, Yannis, specific did you manage- references, oh, sorry, Ryan. Um, <laughs> this is. Uh, not relevant to bring up now, but uh, I, I did appreciate that the talking squirrels, one of them was wearing a conker on their head. So I feel like uh, there you I, go. I, I see you. <laughs> Johannes, did you manage to pick out any of the audio or, or music or was it was the conversation too fluid yeah, and it was permanent? M- mainly a character banter that I remember and then the, the banter between the players. Uh, so nothing really stood out, but at the very least, it, it was unoffensive. Nah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so while fighting the Queen of Wasps in the hive, uh, you can hear uh, a, 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 a sort of refrain or, or a reference to uh, Rimsky-Korsakov's Flight of the Bumblebee. Wrong animal again. Um, that's one of the, the, <laughs> the problems that this development team, Hazelite, has. They can't distinguish mandrills from baboons mm. or indeed bees from wasps. But I really did think, uh, and I guess it's a licensing issue, but the the Motown classic, Marvin Gaye and Kim Weston, It Takes Two, I really did think it ought to play over the end sequence uh, or the end credits. Um, And I guess I don't know whether they ever talked about it or looked into it, whether it was just too expensive or, but it, you know, that would have, I would have been a touch of class, I think, personally. Akira from the forum says it takes two was a welcomed opportunity for my wife and I to do something other than binge watch yet another series on Netflix. Lockdown had taken its toll. And so a new contemporary and fun couch co-op game was just what the doctor ordered. 
The unique, interesting and at times nostalgic biomes were a much needed escape. It allowed us a sense of freedom that we'd missed for obvious and understandable reasons. I remember one evening we spent 45 minutes having a snowball fight instead of progressing the quest, but we didn't mind at all. It served its purpose that day, giving us some respite from the anxious reality. Not all the story points hit. I distinctly remember the toy elephant scene. You all know the one I mean. And by the end, Dr. Hakim grated on us slightly. It was thoroughly enjoyable, and I hope that it encourages more developers to look into this somewhat dying genre. I thought the elephant scene was like one of the funniest things that I've ever seen in a video game. <laughs> that really connected uh, with Yeah, <laughs> seems divisive, but yeah, darkly humorous. Hilarious, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also I guess horrifying. It on, yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's why it was funny, right? Yeah, yeah so... Um, if you haven't seen it, look it up. If if you if you can't play the game for whatever reason, it's worth seeking out. But basically, it's this hyper cutesy elephant that's actually I think it's actually is it called cutie yeah, or cutie, cutie or yeah. something like that? Yeah. In a rather bizarre turn of events, uh, you decide your your player player characters, your couple decide that uh, the only way to make your daughter cry again, which you think may cancel the spell, right, uh, is to rip apart her favorite toy. And so it goes and it becomes this rather sort of, it's like, I don't know, it's like Grand Theft Auto or something. It's a bit Monty Python, like how they really yeah, kind of true, drag true. out the the joke and like really kind of feature it all in very excruciating detail. I'm happy just uh, if people want to talk about some of the standout bits from the course of the game. There's like seven main areas, sets of levels, the shed, the tree, Rose's room, the cuckoo clock, the snow globe the garden and the attic. Which bits, which sections do you remember as being the most enjoyable? And conversely, were there any sections that either were frustrating or outstayed their welcome or whatever? Uh, Darren? Yeah, I really appreciated the just the sheer variety that went into all these like levels in terms of like locations. You know, it, it would make sense that you go from the shed to the tree uh, up into the, the, the bedroom, which had all the toys in. Like the way they all flowed together was... Yeah, it's really well done and you never really did it kind of stick out as like a, why are we here now sort of thing. Like I think the story kind of beats, handled it well enough for you to be inside a snow globe. You know what I mean? It never really, um, it never really felt out of place and everything sort of made sense. But in terms of ones that stuck out to me, like the toy room, it's, a, there's a, it's probably a reason why that's the longest chapter in the game because it's just so full of stuff even even like sweary stuff when you go and you find the way out characters and you press the button and it starts swearing and you're like that's a bit much for a for a, fam- for a family game really you know what i mean should they be swearing maybe not who knows but um yeah like I've, the, the snow globe area as i said earlier on looks amazing and who doesn't love a snowball fight and uh yeah i just wish i just again like i, I sound like i'm really like being nitpicky but i just wish the garden areas were just a little bit more or just as good as the other levels in terms of um, visual fidelity. But yeah, I don't think there was a stinger in, in there really. I mean, I think mm. maybe I'm struggling to like recall exactly if there was ever a moment where I was just like, this has gone on for too long, but I'm thinking I'm confusing in that with uh, our recent playthrough of Lego. Lego. Stars. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm thinking that I'm just like, Oh, that yeah. game Lego was long. And I'm like, no, actually. Yeah. I think, I think a way out is kind of brevity and restraint were kind of, you know, in, a, in much like a Mario Galaxy sort of way, it was like, you know, you're flying this plane and then you're fighting a squirrel on the back of the plane and then it was done and you're like, okay, what's next? And you were like, mm. we were working out, you know, what what mechanic we had each, you know, in terms of individuality and they all seem to click clock with the level. No, they seem to click with the level perfectly. Um, but as a standout favourite, Rose's Room for me was, uh, 
was tippity yeah. top mm. just because it's a toy room and who doesn't love toys? I suppose it may have been slightly telling, although it's partly to do with time constraints. But when we replayed some bits the other night, we didn't have a lot of patience for redoing the entirety of boss fights. Yeah. But that's not to say we didn't enjoy most of them the first time around. We just didn't have the appetite to do them again kind of mm-hmm. thing. Whereas some of the other bits, the more free-flowing just moment to moment parts we were we were quite happy just to to re revisit uh shooting the goop and blowing it up still fun yeah. um and also the that that uh combination of uh both time and uh doppelganger puzzles that, that uh takes on an almost ad- uh, misadventures of of winterbottom kind of scenario uh, at some point there's actually some you know some nice little momentary head scratches that almost remind us of Portal 2 or something like that. And the the, the shed level for me, uh, when we were playing the other day, actually, I was like, there's the toolbox with the eyes and the, you know, the the, the face that he has. I didn't notice yeah. it the first time around because I wasn't expecting it to be like a mini boss or an actual boss fight. There's quite a good level of like uh, like foreshadowing in the levels as well. If you were to look around a second time and look at it and go, oh yeah, actually you, you end up doing that stuff over there. And it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting how they laid it all out. But like I said, um, when we were playing, it's like, it's funny how the inside of their house is absolutely like the most fun house ever for these little characters to run around. <laughs> and I know I'm being a bit of a kind of like a <laughs> bit of an idiot on that one, but it's just like, yeah, man, like imagine shrinking down into my house. It'd be a nightmare. <laughs> you know I mean, there'd be no fun to be had in here. It's all kind of, I don't know, there's a bit of, there's a googly eye on the floor, actually. So maybe I could have fun with that. But, um, yeah. Overall. Well, let's try it sometime and see. <laughs> See what the level design's like. Uh, Johannes, any highlights or and or lowlights yeah, from the thought, many, many? Yeah, I thought the, the squirrels were, were pretty funny. I, I constantly giggled at them. And then, mm-hmm. of course, they had that uh, Street Fighter. Uh, you can't really call it an homage, right? It's just Street Fighter <laughs> happening for, yeah, true for a brief minute. Um, not, the, not the best fighting game, but uh, I mean, yeah, that was super short. It's not going to be hitting Evo. Nah, probably not. <laughs> but yeah, it was super funny. And then um, in the in the snow globe uh, stages, all the the faster sections, I enjoyed a lot. Where you did did like uh, those big jumps on your on your skates. That was super yeah. fun. And uh, yes. in in the, the space uh, spacey stages, uh, yeah, that reminded me a lot of uh, Mario Galaxy with the gravity mm. shenanigans and. Uh, it was super fun. Uh, the the least fun, yeah. I mean, repeat boss fights can can drag out a, a little bit, but how often are you realistically gonna do those, right? Yeah. Some of the puzzles I remember, like they weren't hard or anything, but the the solutions were a bit obtuse for for some reason. So uh, we, yeah. we get we get stuck uh, there sometimes when one way you had to do rail switching with the little wooden uh, wooden characters or whatever it was. But mm. yeah, I mean, the, a, apart from very minor drags, the whole thing was just fun from from beginning to end. Basically, everybody said it by now, right? The the variety of of gameplay, the amount of variety of gameplay is just uh, mind boggling. Like you, yeah. even getting one of those right in a game is not easy to do. And then how many do they actually do here? Like the the magnet stuff was Doesn't. was genius. The uh, hammer and nail part was was super fun, and also for for a lot of uh, sections, they actually had two different game mechanics, right, or complementary uh, game yeah, mechanics yeah. that they did. Yeah. Um, so I imagine I haven't actually done that, but uh, if I had to go back to the game, I definitely want to play as a different character now because that's mm. basically another mm-hmm. game uh, on top of it, right? Yes. Yeah, that is true. 
Uh, and one thing that Darren, you mentioned straight away when both times we've we've played this from you know the first time and the revisit was just uh, how the how smooth and uh, robust the the basic loco- locomotion yeah. feels mm. on the characters. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's one of the best for me personally. I know we don't normally do bests, but I guess it's one of my favourites in terms of just yeah. feeling the movement and the you know the, the the inertia of the characters. I think it plays really well, which I wasn't really expecting. Do you know what I mean? After yes. like um. Like, because I went from brothers to this, so to speak, in mm. terms of their chronology, I did miss, we missed the way out because we played that afterwards. But even then, I imagine after if you, if you played way out first and then this, I don't think you would have expected a game that plays just as well as it takes two does. And I think it's absolutely yeah. crucial that it does. And the the amount of uh, moments we had in playing a way out after this that were just really janky or wacky <laughs> or goofy or silly, yeah, yeah. and and this game obviously has those, but deliberately rather than because by accident yeah. you know um we didn't have any moments of you know i think we had a couple of frustrating moments with cameras maybe and it takes two but nothing you know over the course of what is quite a long game mm. there were a couple of platform sections i mean there was one that i i just kept messing up oh the, the tower of whatever in the snow level yeah yeah but that, that uh, was a side thing you know what i mean but i don't think we needed to do that probably yeah, yeah but that, yeah, yeah that, that wasn't fun and i say also that uh you know, we talked about the elephant and how funny that was. The elephant in the room. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the elephant on the roof. Equally so, the the vacuum in the shed. Mm. There was a moment yeah. at the beginning, and I was kind of glad to hear other podcasters also kind of have this reaction to that scene where like I was kind of thinking like, are they making like an auto fellatio joke here? Because the vacuum yeah. is like, oh, I know you, you put some weird stuff in me. And Cody starts like rubbing <laughs> the back of his head and looking around. And, and like, I was kind of wondering, you know, eventually they kind of like play it into a more innocent angle. But I was like, is that the impression yeah. that they wanted to give people like, you know, it, like, is that a little subtle joke so. for the adults? I, I kind of appreciate that if so. But um, I think so. And, and then when you're, when you're fighting the vacuum, is another moment that feels very conquer where the, the yeah. way that you, you discover the way that you end up defeating the vacuum is you have to use its arms, which are little, you know, vacuum suckers to suck out its own eyeballs out of its face. This yeah. is yeah. so funny and so grim. And you just feel like a monster <laughs> doing it, but what a, what a funny way to end a boss fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We laughed didn't we. Oh, Definitely. absolutely. Yeah. There's so many moments in this game. I was just like, this game is just, almost like if rare made games like this now it would yeah. be very much in the, in this style like it would be it would be more colorful and a bit more googly eyed but yeah overall like yeah this game resonates with me for all those reasons like it is dark in a colorful way and i like it you know and i'll talk about it i don't think the script itself is that good but the actual like there is a really really good comedy in the kind of like the actual adventuring and the actual game mechanics and yeah. the actual like play yeah, of it, which is more difficult to do than a good script. And so, you know, I have to applaud them for that. And just yeah. the general interactivity of things within the world that aren't even kind of things to like, you know, purposely use for progression. It's just like, oh, I wonder if I can do this. And you're like, oh yeah, no, you can do that. And like things interacted in a way that again, like it would be normally set dressing for most games, but mm-hmm. there's like a, like a tin of beans on the floor and you could, you could run on it and it would roll around as if like, you know, you were on top of it. In yeah, that is very impressive. Like uh, everything that you can kind of see and touch seems to have, um, you know, probably not a hundred percent interactivity, but enough for it to make you go, yeah, that's, that, that's impressive. And, you know, you can break the, the glass jars and you can do this and you can do that all around the levels. And yeah, overall, I just thought it was a, 
there was there wasn't really a stinky level in there. And uh yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed all of it. Yeah, good book. Ziesel, Zielsdorf, sorry, from our Patreon says It Takes Two might be the most creative game I've ever played. Some of the blurb as uh, reproduced on Moby Games says pure co-op perfection. Invite a friend to to join for free with remote play together. This was what they called it. And experience a thrilling adventure built purely for two. Choose from couch or online co-op with split screen play and face ever changing challenges where working together is the only way forward. Gleefully disruptive gameplay from rampaging vacuum cleaners to suave love gurus. You never know what you'll be up against next filled with genre bending challenges and new character abilities to master in every level experience a metaphorical merging of gameplay and narrative that pushes the boundaries of interactive storytelling and uh, a universal tale of relationships discover a touching and heartfelt story of the challenges in getting along. Help Cody and May learn how to overcome their differences. Meet a diverse cast of strange and endearing characters. Join forces and go on an adventure. You'll treasure together. On the diverse cast uh, and, and straight of strange and endearing characters, apart from the book and the elephant i don't have super strong memories of the supporting cast overall the the, bu- maybe, the bubble maybe. bee was was super funny when it just leaves you alone it's like bye yeah i can't say i really um have much recollection for the the third party characters for, for lack of a better term in the game you know they were just kind of there for the ride weren't they and then like even like the squirrels which are clearly a conquer's bad fur day because they're fighting the wasps thing like, i don't remember any particular squirrel being a standout you know in terms of dialogue and um performance but yeah you know i think overall yeah just a just a solid solid roster but yeah to call it a, a diverse and strange cast is kind of maybe a bit, bit 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 much how does everyone feel about the decision that Hayeslight made to not include any collectibles whatsoever your, your first assumption is that it's going to be loads everywhere right and i know their marketing was there's no collectibles and you think yeah fair enough because you know a co-op game who really wants to wait for their friends to go around and pick up a hundred yeah. notes mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. can see why but you know the, I, I guess the mini games are your collectibles right i guess that's yep. what you're yep. you're discovering and un- unlocking and therefore playing and you get to play little mini games together but i don't know the, there is part of me that kind of if you've got a, a platform game that plays as well as this does online in co-op and sometimes on the cloud, like for, for a game to play that well, oh, I could have done with like a little level of just like maybe a whole level just dedicated towards collect-a-thons. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was an itch to scratch there and I don't think it got it. I think if this was a game that was either built for single player or playable by a single person, then um, the lack of collectibles would be a pretty notable uh, absence um but i think the yeah. lack of collectibles in the game as it is as a mandatory two-player game is uh just kind of a way of managing the pacing and you know like darren said like if one player is very intent on collecting everything and searching around every corner then you know the other player is perhaps not having the experience they want and mm. you know instead yeah you know Ferez and team just made the decision to to funnel all gameplay decisions into kind of funneling the players forward. And, you know, there is a bit of like side and optional content and there are some Easter eggs you can find. There's some out of the way achievements. There's some mini games and stuff like that, but all of those are two player interactive. You know, there's very few times when, you know, there are some times when the characters get separated and they have to solve a puzzle on their side of the screen or whatever. But, uh, but for the most part, there's always something for both players to do. And there's, there aren't really 
that many situations where players' goals are really kind of put into opposition to one another. You know, it's always kind of working towards having the most fun for the most people. I never even thought about the the lack of uh, collectibles right. in the game. So obviously, if this was a Mario game or something like that, it, it would very much stand out. But yeah, that just shows I probably uh, approached the game from a completely different angle. So we went uh, looking back at the uh, our sort of save file. I say our because it it's uh, it's re it's reproduced across oh, baby both. save file. It's so <laughs> baby <cute>. save. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's reproduced across both uh, players' profiles. Unlike some games where there's kind of a elite, there's a host and a and a participant. Right, we, which is what we found with our recent Lego Star Wars, uh, the old game, not the new one. Um, for those who are listening after the release of the Skywalker saga. We saw that there are, uh, yeah, if, if there were any kinds of collectibles, you would probably say that the, the mini games are they, because uh, as well as all the many different varied kinds of gameplay that you get just playing through the game, there's also uh, paths away from the critical path on every stage, pretty much, give or take, that have one, two or three different mini games. Uh, and these can be... Uh, a wide variety of things from the f- fairly mundane to the to the quite wacky and out there there's what else? Well, I can't remember there's things like you know uh, actual kind of standard games like um drafts and or checkers and there's yeah, some t- other tug of war was there there was a tug of war one right and there was like right. wacker cody was that or another one we did yeah and, you know, uh, and some, the- some of them are less games and more like interactable set pieces right the, the one we take pictures and things like that um, so again, just more stuff that must have everything they put in here took more programming, right? Yeah, more, yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy, man. Like, like stuff like this and Mario Party games. Whoever does the programming for these kinds of games, they must or people, they must have yeah. so much kind of willpower and tenacity and skill just to get it all done. Mm. You know what I mean? Because the amount of mini games in here, like, are, from, personally, I feel like there's probably too many, which isn't a bad thing. Like. But for, for, for a workload, this game does a lot and it kind of presents itself and it doesn't really kind of show off about it either. It's just like, yep, yeah, there are mini games yeah. there if you want them. Someone's put loads of time and effort into it, but if you miss them, it's fine. <laughs> You're like, no, someone's put loads of time into this. It's like Mario Party on the Switch or whatever. It's got all the old games in one, you know, all under one roof, Toys R Us and that. But at some point, someone sat down and programmed 500 mini games under one thing. <laughs> like, oh, wow, it, it blows my mind. And um, yeah, this game definitely had that moment for me. It's like... There's a lot in here and it doesn't really show off about it. Did anyone actually uh, spend, you know, get hooked on any of the mini games? I mean, one of them, one of our correspondents mentioned there isn't even, doesn't even count as a mini game. It's just in the level you can pick up snowballs and kind of make your own fun with a snowball fight, that kind of thing, knocking the other person over. But a lot of them have a, uh, 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 the actual mini games have a win-lose counter and it remembers uh, which character won the games? Although it tells you which of the two characters in the game, not which player won the game. So mm. we didn't, yeah, we didn't go out of our way to to seek them out. But whenever we came across them, we we tried yeah. we tried them all, and it was fun. And uh, the score was about even uh, towards the, the last game. So, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> There's even like a pullback car that one of you sits in, and you have to fly it through like oh, yeah, a ring. Yeah. That's that was cool, yeah. yeah. And just just uh, if you pulled it back too far, you'd obviously like overshoot it, and just the explosion after it just made you laugh. Like there are so yeah, many moments, laughed, yeah. yeah. There are so many moments that just make you laugh, just for slapstick kind of toy comedy. Yeah, it's it's, it's a good fun. Baseball, batting, men. Uh, 
what else the was lava, there? Rhythm action rodeo. And the lava baskets. We were yet to throw the little balls at the thing and I was terrible at the little laser ball. tennis. And of course, just screwing uh, screwing the, the other player over to fall to the death or, or something by, you know, hitting, yeah, uh, hitting a laugh. switch in the, yeah, hitting a switch in the wrong moment, quote unquote, right? Yeah. <laughs> Squishing them, and there was also the, yeah. the 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 torture chamber, of course, where you could actually incinerate uh, your play partner. Oh yeah, I'd forgotten about that. That was funny and horrifying, which seems to yes. be a theme in this game. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. There's definitely a few little uh, moments of dark humor. Truck Kurt from our forum says, "What a fantastic game this was! I very rarely play co-op games due to difficulty in arranging times with people who would be interested in playing the same game. But lockdown provided me with some more spare time at home, and I found someone who had bought the game and was ki- able to kindly provide me with the free partner code so I could play with them. Over the course of around four weeks, we had a blast playing the game. We were both amazed at the creativity that the game provided." It really does provide a Nintendo-type experience with how it introduces new mechanics and then dumps them off for the rest of the game. In my view, there wasn't a single duff level. The only thing stopping it becoming a 10 out of 10 game for me was the story and characters. We tried watching the cutscenes but quickly got bored of the story. I was personally disappointed at the writing. Given the premise of the game, the environments and other characters you interact with, there was a huge opportunity for some great comedy, but instead they just focused on boring bickering between the two main characters. Overall, though, my personal favourite game of 2021. couple of secrets to check out. You mentioned uh, this one, Darren. When Cody and May are at uh, in Rose's room... You can find two plastic figures of Leonard, Leo Caruso and Vincent Moretti, the two main characters of the studio's previous game. The replicas can be heard by pushing the buttons near them. Yes, they can be heard. They say Rudy things. You called it before it even happened, I think. (laughs) In the episode of Medieval Castle, uh, there's a doll with a rolling pin, which eventually drowns in lava and does a thumbs up referencing the uh, Terminator 2 Judgment you Day. Just have to, you just have to do it. Like, there's, there's no it, choice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. heard, I heard about one other Easter egg. I heard about that on, on another podcast where the oh, yeah? the the name of the either the, the gel gun or the match gun in the in the tree level, the, the name of that gun was a reference to a fictional motorcycle brand in the... Uh, in the way out so yeah uh, super super right. meta but somebody was like yeah isn't this from that other game yeah okay cool. <laughs> it's like the tarantino verse yeah, yeah yeah so definitely they're building their own uh universe yeah but the, the, the thumbs up was at the end of the diablo style kind of moment right yeah is that, is that right yeah, I remember? yeah that, that's just i think we forgot to mention during like the variety is that they had a moment where it went a bit kind of diablo three ish and it was yes. like overhead and it had like unique abilities and stuff that was crazy yeah, another moment yeah. that yeah, it was Long great, way. wasn't it? I really, I really liked it. Yeah, there's barely a. I mean, there there probably are some, but there's barely a sort of. If you think of the main genres of video gaming, pretty much everything's got at least a. You know, it's, everything's covered to some degree here at some point in this game. There's a there's a bit of a bit of everything that you could think of. Rager from our forum says it takes two is pure uninterrupted for the most part fun. Creative ideas are brought in and tossed off with a Mario-like frequency. Characters are responsive to control. Level design is top-notch. The punishment for death is minimal and there's no additional fluff involved like collectibles, upgrades, leveling up and the like. 
It felt liberating to play these fairly expansive levels with a singular focus on having as much fun as possible, whether that was progressing the story, exploring the biomes, discovering new minigames, or just faffing around with the constant slew of new mechanics. The amount of variety in its 12 to 14 hour runtime was quite staggering. The only downside was the story in general and Dr. Hakim, who was quite hit and miss. Sometimes you love to hate him, sometimes he annoyed me by breaking up the gameplay. His line about having a relationship made me laugh like an immature schoolboy, though. Barring that small niggle, this game was an absolute treat and the best pure co-op game I've played in recent memory. I can't wait to see what Hazelight does next. Sludge Wizard from our Patreon says, At the end of the day, it's just wonderful getting to play a game from beginning to end with a pal. Even if it wasn't quite as memorable as a way out, I have nothing but fond memories of It Takes Two. I'll be there for whatever Hazelight Studios does next. I've forgotten almost all of a way out. And <laughs> not to say you're wrong, you're allowed your own opinion. But to me, It Takes Two <laughs> was far more memorable than... The only thing that sticks out for me in a way out is when you tried to hand me a towel yes. and the game got stuck. And it was yeah. just the most, it was the most hilarious glitch I'd seen in a long time. Um, it's, it, yeah, you had to be there, but it really was very, very funny. <laughs> It was, it was great. It was great. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I enjoyed A Way Out very muchly, but not for the same reasons I enjoyed It Takes Two. It's, um, but you can see the stepping stones there. They were definitely like, oh, yeah. You know, and for whatever they do next, you know, they, they've, got, they've got their own big shoes to fill now, haven't they? Because, for, you know, not to give it all away, but I've, I really like It Takes Two. And um, yeah, I'm very keen to see what they do next as well. Yeah, A Way Out took itself way more seriously. Uh, some might say too seriously. <laughs> For, for the quality of the characters and the writing. Daniel Glass from our Patreon says, One of my best gaming memories is playing this through with my small daughter over the course of several days. She was a bit young for some of the themes, but the presentation and gameplay were all she really noticed. I don't understand the decision to make Hakim, a primarily Arabic name, into an obnoxious Latin lover caricature. And yes, the way it dealt with the causes of divorce could perfectly rightly be called facile. But... As a therapist who has done some couples work, it's actually true that sometimes the reasons people want to get divorced are not deep-seated issues, but because of poor communication styles and a problematic combination between whininess and defensiveness, as seen here. When it was over, my daughter kept saying how she wished there was more to it and that we could play another game like it. She couldn't get over it. I've already played Brothers, so I looked into the developer's other work and decided the prison game is probably not the most appropriate experience for her. But what a great time the two of us had with this one. It's, it's not an easy game to play, is it? It takes two. It does challenge your um, mm. your dexterity. So, well, you know, your, your small daughter is uh, mighty impressive. Good work. Yeah. I think uh, one of the three word reviews, which I don't think I've included, but I'll, I'll include it now uh, and un uh, without credit, is uh, was not for casuals, which I initially took as being a kind of weird, you know, slightly gatekeeper-y comment. But I think maybe that's what they were yeah. alluding to. Yeah. The fact that, this, although this fun co-op only game, it's quite forgiving in lots of ways. Like there's no real death. Uh, you revive uh, yourself, uh, don't you, by hammering the Y button. Yeah, and all that kind of thing. But actually, in terms of the controls, it's very much, you know, a a modern video gamey game with 
camera controls and multiple buttons and triggers. It's this is not like I don't know Wii Sports or something, is it? Yeah, like, and when the enemies are on screen, i.e. like the larvae or the or the wasps and that, there's a lot of them, and like the little the, the, mm. the tree creatures and the ones got the shield, and you had to like it's like Jet Force Gemini or something. It is very much like Jet Force Gemini in spots. Yeah, but there, there are overwhelmingly amount of um, enemies on screen to deal with. You know, one with a sickle had to hack them all down. You had to pull the shield off, and then you had to go and do mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so there's a lot of things to manage at any one time when the going gets tough, so to speak. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite impressed. It's Some one of those the, games the where boss I think fights that, took a couple of tries. Uh, it's one of those games where I, I think the appeal is very universal. But yeah, like it's it's one of those where I, I want to bring more kind of non-gamer people into it because I think that they'd get something out of it. And I think it's kind of a nice tour de force of a lot of different, as we said earlier, kind of types of gameplay. Uh, it makes a lot of, you know, a lot of the humor is just kind of like humor for humor's sake without being like super, you have to be in the know to really kind of get the jokes or anything like that. You know, some of the more subtle references are nice kind of winks at the audience who do have kind of a longer video game history. But I think there's a lot here that can be loved by more people but the fact that it is rather demanding um it's kind of that outer wilds thing again where it's like this is such like a universal Mm. cool thing that i want to show to more people but it might just be like a little bit too difficult to engage with for somebody who's like really kind of out of the loop of video games entirely which is a little disappointing and it almost makes me kind of want there to be like a very like almost like a like a child mode, like in Mario Kart, how they have like all those kind of auto assists that can really kind of lighten the load for people who aren't, um, you know, super up to stuff. And maybe that's what, I mean, ultimately like we're working towards discussion of the TV show. Maybe that's why it was kind of optioned for that because there is so much, you know, creativity there that is, that can be made accessible to people who are outside of the gaming space. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a weird one in that regard. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if uh, what sort of direction they go with the next one, whether they go more uh, serious and, uh, you know, gamey game or whether they sort of continue down the maybe slightly more accessible path, inclusive. Um, but I suppose, the, the yeah, the fact that this has done so well, seemingly commercially, I imagine they might um, stick to the similar, similar sort of level of uh, entry. But tonally, I don't know. We shall see. They've 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 announced nothing so far, I guess. Now, as I sort of hinted at earlier, there was is to be a television program uh, in January 2022, according to Wikipedia. And this was also on The Verge and other places. Hazelight Studios announced that they partnered with Dimitri M. Johnson and his DJ2 Entertainment to adapt the game for TV and film. Um, Probably one or the other, I would assume, rather than both. Pat Casey and Josh Miller are on board to write the screenplay. I didn't look up their credits. Um, But with the title being the subject of legal squabbles, that seems like, I mean, unless they get that sorted out, this is on permanent hiatus, presumably. Yeah, unless the the game gets renamed to something slightly less frustrating for the publisher. Well, you know, take two. I don't know. It's, It's a hard one to work out, isn't it? I mean, for me, the whole game is about two people interacting with each other's mechanics to get through to, t- to turn it into, you know, a TV show is a bit beyond my comprehension, but I mean, mm. C- Cuphead seems to be doing all right, which isn't uh, exactly a one for one analogy, but if they can put yeah. Cuphead on TV, then why not this? 
Yeah, I mean, there's more and more video game adaptations coming all the time. Uh, at the time of recording this, A Plague Tale's just been announced yesterday, I think it was. Uh, it's, it's finally happening. Uh, and what's even more remarkable is they're not all absolutely dire. <laughs> so, so we actually have some kind of, you know, reason to be optimistic about mm. these things uh, now. All of them are going to be great uh, from here on out. All of them, definitely, 100%. No problems at all. But we see as well how many of these get optioned and then never actually end up turning into anything. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's kind of a crapshoot as to whether or not this will actually be something or whether somebody just kind of purchased the rights to yeah. sit on them. Yeah, of course. Final correspondent in long form from this uh, for this show is Shiny Waylord Guy from the forum who says, a lot of co-op games often feel like two players going through the single player experience at the same time. But It Takes Two is truly cooperative. It's incredible the rate at which it introduces new asymmetrical mechanics that give each player a specific role and forces them to work together in interesting ways. Just as you get comfortable with a new gameplay style, it ditches it and moves on to something new. And then it does it again and again, never seeming to run out of inventive ideas for the entire length of the game. I'll always have fond memories of It Takes Two. After being forced to spend almost a year apart because of the pandemic, It Takes Two was the first co-op game my brother and I played together when we finally got to see each other again. The joy and laughter it brought us certainly helped make up for the lost year of gaming together. Mm. Yeah, this, I think, you know, it's been mentioned quite a lot is the uh, the lockdown mm. and the pandemics because of the year it came out, obviously. But I think yeah. it's quite important to... Um, to acknowledge the games that offered such like online capabilities, even when people mm. were working from home. Do you know what I mean? Like, I reckon at some point, like they had to go home and finish this game in some, to some degree, or maybe I'm getting my timing wrong, but you know, it couldn't have been easy for them to make this game online, especially during the time that it came out. Mm. So yeah, because there were games like um, the new Battletoads that was coming out and that didn't have online co-op and you just think, oh, that's such ah. a missed opportunity because right. everyone's stuck indoors, so to speak. And uh, yeah, and we can't really play with each other because we're not allowed to go around each other's houses. And it was a bit frustrating. Mm. But when they uh, patched it into Mario Party Superstars and the new one, uh, no, Super Mario Party got patched into and then Mario Party Superstars. Like to have Mario Party online is like something of a, of a dream back on the N64 days, you know? Yeah. And so like, the way the world is at the moment where, you know, you are told to stay indoors sometimes, like online co-op is just an absolute kind of, yeah, it's, 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 it's a miracle is what it is. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it should be appreciated more. Yeah. We've certainly been uh, yeah. indulging in plenty of online co-op. Absolutely. And yeah. There's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of games that, uh, that do support it and, um, and also some that you can even, that don't, that you can use workarounds That's for. It, yeah. The kind of the, yeah. the remote play thingy where you can kind yeah. of. I can log into your player two pad from my end and you know, yeah. I, I can simulate me being player two on your console over the internet. And that's fascinating. Worth investigating. We also have a good number of three word reviews from Twitter. Follow us at Kane and Rince, starting with Darren. Nike G1, that damn book. Pixel Project Radio, go away book. Christopher Cheung says justice for cutie. Generic Miller says that poor elephant. Setsuna Guerrero. Date night idea. Deadbeat punk, smorgasbord of genre. Ben Blaster says, excellent level design. The real Doc Funky says, <laughs> incredible cooperative mechanics. The names are getting better. Cats and cucumbers. Daddy, daughter, co-op. Black Mamba Jesus says, marriage saving adventure. Tales from the Backlog says, collaboration. <laughs> nice. Or something <laughs> along those good. lines. <laughs> I hadn't practiced it. I'm already annoyed. <laughs> and I, my buttocks have been modelled. Oh, thank like God for that. 
Dr. Hakim's. Uh, in summary, then, uh, I'll go first. Uh, I had a good time playing this with my friend Darren Gargett. Yeah, there isn't that much more to say, really, because I didn't I didn't get sort of, you know, deep uh, emotion from the story beats or anything like that. I didn't think that side of things was a especially well handled or b you know, it didn't resonate with me personally on 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 that deeper level. If anything, yeah, I, 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 fair play to the the voice actors and scriptwriters for something so spirited. But but actually, overall, I could have done with with something a bit quieter in terms of the script and the story, um, because the 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 visual side and the, probably the audio as well of the you know the the music and the sound effects of the game, I would have liked those to have been more brought forward uh, to the experience rather than this kind of very uh, extreme heavy focus on the on the the, the divorce storyline and the the mother parent uh, the the mother father child divorce situation i guess i can understand what they were what they were going for with it but but for me actually the highlight here was the yeah the the expertise with which they managed to code all this variety together and what's extremely unusual in a in a a game that is effectively a a huge sequence of um, disparate game types and mechanics, they nearly all work. I had fun with nearly everything we did. Uh, it's not like an epic length game. It's not like a hundred hour RPG or something, but nor is it like a, this is not a, you know, three hours and done kind of thing. Uh, I think way out, a way out was uh, a, a mite shorter. Um, and this was, yeah, this, I, we played it over several weeks, didn't we? Yeah. Was this like seven chapters and then they're about yeah. an hour and a half because that's about as long as my brain could handle. And so they, that's right. they kind of cut off at the right point apart from the toy yes. bomb, which went on for longer. Yeah. yeah it's about eight, <laughs> eight to nine hours, I think. Right. Okay. Yeah. Depending on, uh, yeah, how much it. you go out of your way for the mini games and, and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, my overriding memories apart from, you know, chuckles with, with Darren um, are really the yeah the level of imagination and skill that went into building both the game world and the mechanics, and yeah as Ryan said right at the start, it, depending on whatever your your setup is, you might be able to get hold of this game for very little or nothing at all. Whether you've got Game Pass um, or or EA Play on the PC or whatever, or a friend, or a friend uh, who's already got it. Um, and yeah, it's worth seeking out. It's the kind of thing I actually I would recommend apart from, you know, the maybe slightly awkward kissing scene at the end. If I mean, not that you should care about that sort of thing. But um, I think it's the kind of thing where you should maybe uh, I would recommend finding one of the friends on your games, on your uh, consoles friend list that you haven't played with either for a long time or, or never, but you've always meant to and um, and play through this with them. And uh, I'm sure you'll have some fun times with it and some laughs. That's really all I have to say on It Takes Two. Ryan. Yeah, it was, um, this is a game that feels very, very unlike anything else that I've ever played, but also I don't really know at what other time something like this like could have emerged. You know, obviously it feels, and we talked about multiple times, it feels like a throwback to kind of classic N64 era rare, especially there's a lot of Conquer DNA in this one. Like, a lot of lot of Conquer DNA and a few kind of very specific references back to Conquer's Bad Fur Day as well, uh, which I appreciate. And, you know, it does feel like a kind of natural extension of what Rare was doing back then, perhaps a little bit more kind of like story focused and, and driven forward. But yeah, I guess even Conquer's Bad Fur Day was that as well. But, you know, it, it's fun because it kind of lands as a part of a really promising 
renaissance of 3D platformers that we're going through now, maybe kind of kicked off by uh, Super Mario Odyssey and A Hat in Time a few years ago, and then really kind of carried forward in really strong form last year with Psychonauts 2, which did um, kind of a lot of, you know, this type of humor, but, um, you know, delivered on both the kind of like gameplay promise of It Takes Two and like a really, really strong script as well. Bowser's Fury came out last year, very creative. Mm. You know, it's it's just a very, very strong time for 3D platformers that, um, you know, it, it we haven't really seen. It's been kind of a, a somewhat dead genre for what, maybe a decade before that or maybe even longer. Uh, and so it's really exciting to see you know, this really creative game kind of riding that wave and um, and really kind of signaling that, you know, this is a viable genre that there's still a lot to explore within. Um, I, I love this kind of thing. It was a, um, I think it was a surprise when it won Game of the Year at the Game Awards because I'm I'm used to seeing the Game Awards as being a little bit of a, like, ordinal ranking of marketing budgets uh, rather than like a reflection of the quality of the games and for this one which seemed like kind of an underdog like it's it, it is ea produced it is an experienced developer but uh you know it's it's outside of the typical genre that tends to win game of the year it's a little bit more double a rather than like a big triple a release um it was just kind of a it was an exciting moment in a way and uh you know perhaps it kind of benefited from releasing mid pandemic and you know triple a last year was you know a little bit sparse and more niche than you typically see from uh from years kind of major releases you know deathloop hitman monster hunter were kind of you know big games but have their own very specific audiences and so i really enjoyed that this game was its own thing and you know didn't really play it safe in any regard it was um it was very experimental all the way through it changed up its gameplay constantly it didn't really fall back on any safe or comfortable you know any any corners that could be cut like it was just very very much an ambitious work of love with um perhaps a weaker script than it probably it could have benefited from having uh you know significantly stronger writing but for a kinesthetic experience for the experience of the actual gameplay i i was uh i was left wanting more which is really the best that i can say um i i don't necessarily think that this realistically could or should have a direct sequel you know i think it very much works as a standalone thing but i hope that whatever this team does and i hope that whatever this game inspires is um you know similar in spirit and kind of explores a lot of these these avenues that were so kind of successfully explored in this one um and you know all of this is coming from someone who famously has not much appreciation for multiplayer in general so you know if i'm giving this high of a, a rating to a required multiplayer only game uh then you know there really must be something there so uh yeah high recommendation from me it was one of my you know very favorite games of last year yeah love to see more of this kind of thing nicely said uh next is darren it takes two was a nice surprise for me i i saw the trailer at e3 and i was like i like the look of that 
And then for a game that I thought that was going to prod me in the ribs and stamp on my face with kind of sensitive issues, it turned out to be one of my favourite games, you know, on my shiny Series S. I, I, I genuinely believe that It Takes Two is one of the, you know, one of my favourite games of recent memory. And yeah, I absolutely adore pretty much every moment I was playing it. So the, the story is a, is, a, is a limp affair, really. You know, it has its moments and the book is probably the highlight for me, whereas people might find it uh, grating and annoying, as the, as the correspondents delightfully told us. But yeah, I just think this game is pretty much kind of Darren the video game. You know, I, I don't play games for story anyway, so why I was kind of a bit worried about being a bit precious about it is, you know, it's kind of just the way I am at the moment. But yeah, overall, like the, the game is just an absolute joy to play. It, you know, it touches on games from the past that I really adore and I wasn't expecting that. And, for, you know, for, to see those things happening in front of me, I'm like, no, oh, what's going on? Like Joseph Farris is pretty much like the modern day receiver to me now. Like he's like, you know, he's got the attitude, he's got the comedy. He just needs to go a little step further into darkness and uh, I reckon he'll get there. In, in to toilets. Make, yeah, toilets and googly eyes and, you know, everything called guffo and boggo and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> if, if that's all they needed to do was just call him Dr. Hakimo or something like that, Dr. Bucco and stuff like that. And it, it would have been great. But, you know, yeah, it takes two. In terms of like comedy games of last year, like you don't get many comedy games. And it takes two is one of them, and I, I I appreciated that. But it was it was kind of second, maybe third to Psychonauts two and Resident Evil Eight Village. And uh, yeah, for me, I was just like, yes, three games that made me absolutely crack up laughing in twenty twenty one, which is probably the year I needed to laugh more than most. So yeah, in a, in a in a roundabout way, this game did the exact opposite of what I was expecting it to do. I thought it'd pee me off no end with its story premise, but actually, it made me laugh quite a lot. And uh, you can't put a price on that, even though it did cost me seventeen pound fifty. <laughs> comedy Fun. tour de force resident evil village i was about oh, to say come on. you want to talk about funny moments in resident evil village there's some very good slapstick in there i have to say i'll give it to them find out later this year yeah hand trauma related slapstick <laughs> probably less funny if if you're terrified of uh crawling fetus monsters oh but, you, know. you know not to divert but the, all the bosses in that game rubbish in terms of Resident Evil 8 Village. They're just, they're, just, they're just idiots who don't know what they're doing. They're all fighting with each other. And, oh, I love the mum most. Uh, comedy gold. gold. <laughs> I, love, I love that game. Are you on that show? Uh, I don't think I am, but... Maybe you should I, be. I remember putting it in the Slack saying, does anyone else think that Resident Evil 8 is the funniest game ever? <laughs> like Everyone's like, what? And then this article went up online. It's like, secretly, Resident Evil 8 is really funny. And I was like, someone gets it. There's a bit where the, the big boss flies out the water and he goes, I'm the best. And you're like, what is, that is true. What is going on? It is just <laughs> absurd beyond belief. And that says a lot it for is. Resident Evil. Yeah, fair enough. Right. Well, that's a little preview of uh, <laughs> Resident Evil Village podcast coming later this year. But for now, on It Takes Two, uh, let's have uh, our guest Johannes with the final word. So it's been a really long time since uh, I've, I've been playing proper co-op games. Like I, I remember when the Portal Two uh, co-op uh, came out, I, I was thinking I should give this a, should give this a play. So yeah, it's it's been before that. Usually I, I play single player um, or like head to head fighting games, uh, things like that, or a lot of shmups uh, lately. Mm -hmm. But after that experience of uh, bonding with my girlfriend over both of us playing the same game when we were looking for that game that we could play together um you know we were looking at things like i don't know stardew valley and things like that that we could play on our switch cooperatively and then yeah it takes two uh, came along of course i was familiar with uh, joseph ferris and his uh, very amusing antics at the award shows 
Um, so yeah, we, we thought we should take a look at this and came, came to Game Pass. And it was a really special experience. Like, uh, you know, it, it's the perfect game to play with any kind of significant other, I guess. Uh, we heard about bosses. Uh, probably works with uh, wives and husbands and, and the like as well. And um, of course, it did help that the, the game just blew me away by its quality and the amount of, of things that are happening in the game. Uh, just how extremely well done everything is. Like, if the gameplay didn't change much and it was just uh, hammer and nails from the from the beginning, it would probably still be a good game. Uh, it might get a bit uh, repetitive and boring towards the end or something, but even that would already be better than a lot of other games. So just the, the fact that they go and throw that out and replace it by equally amusing and fascinating to use game mechanics is just it's incredible like the amount of work that these people have been have been putting into this game is ridiculous it was one it was definitely the, the best uh co-op only third person uh <laughs> platformer that i played last year now it, yeah. it, it was it was ser- <laughs> seriously one of the the best games of the of the year last year which there, there have been other fantastic games but yeah this was definitely up there wholeheartedly recommending it it's gonna be cheap by now right uh or on game pass so you already own it uh or you get somebody that has it and, and use that friend pass thing whatever they called it amazing i i can't wait to to see what uh joseph ferris and his his guys are gonna come up with next uh i was laughing very much uh sorry i don't mean to be don't mean any offense by that but joseph ferris brother is called ferris ferris uh, that just yeah. that just cracked me up. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, Mar- yeah, Mario it's, it's and, Mario, Mario um, and Luigi Mario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Neville, Neville, <laughs> Gary and Phil, Neville's dad. Yeah, and uh, uh, nicely. Yeah, I, I think just the the moral of the story is uh, if you think about uh, divorce and you have a kid, make sure they don't get access to tier based magic so they can summon the Necromon- mm. Necronomicon and uh, turn you into some undying homunculi. You don't want that to happen. <laughs> This is a very good point. Sound advice. Yeah, yeah. It just remains then for me, Leon, to thank Darren, Ryan, and also for your editing, Ryan, and Johannes, our guest. Uh, I think it's uh, high time you got your own plug-in for your video game. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, so, uh, Michiel, who is a much more regular guest on, on Canon Rinse, and myself, we, we have been... Uh, for a lot of for a long time have been working on on games on the side but uh, last year we uh something clicked and we actually finished and released a game uh, it's called Shit Might mm. MX it's a lefty righty shooty game uh so a, a horizontal scrolling shmup um with a twist with a twist yeah uh, with some hopefully interesting uh game mechanics uh hint hint it's in the title uh, it has something to do with shields yes game is currently available on itch.io um but we're gearing up towards a steam release and then a switch release and maybe some yes. some other consoles and things like that and of course yes. uh, since we're having an absolute blast uh we're getting so much uh positive feedback from people um mm. this is not going to be the last game that we're that we're doing and we're also working on some big uh updates for the for the steam release and and forwards so yeah check that out on on itch.io shut my demex or follow us on twitter uh, at hitp studio h-i-t-p studio thanks 
superb. Just going to spell the game title for our listeners as well. So it's S-C-H-I-L-D-M-A-I-D-M-S. Correct. Yeah. And, yeah. And, as and, everybody knows uh, that speaks German, of course, and who doesn't, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and as someone who's not very au fait with the genre, I might mm. just say that Shield Made MX is very good. Like, yes. I, I would say that because he's on the podcast and I, I tested it when I could. But as a, someone who doesn't get on with the genre at all, I found this one extremely accessible and fun. And you might already own it if you purchased the Ukrainian Aid Bundle recently. So uh, yes. take a look through your library. Yeah, if you're one of the 450,000 people who purchased that, yeah. it, it is one of the yeah. almost 1,000 games in there. That was one heck of a way of uh, getting it in lots of people's libraries. And, uh, and yeah, brilliant thing. Raised over $6 million for the aid uh, relief yes. campaign in Ukraine. So, yeah, well done for that. Thank you to all of our correspondents for this It Takes Two podcast. And thank you to you for listening. Next time in issue 512, we like trucking and we like to truck our Kentucky Route Zero podcast. Yeah.